from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Adrian! Adrian! Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On Deck Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Paul Jackson. Today, joined with my co-host, Josh Webb and Rocky LaFleur for another roundtable discussion about waterfowling presented to you by DuckSouth.com. What's up, guys? Jay Paul, Josh, what's up? Mm, not much. Hoping we get more of this next rain uh, than, than what they're actually forecasting. An inch is nice, but I'd like to see about four or five inches. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just been... Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. I wasn't going to make a comment. <laughs> Josh, man, you walk right into that one. Nah, I know. <laughs> I don't want to bring your wife into this, and I'm still pissed <laughs> off at Rocky. <laughs> Actually, Josh, that's what your wife says, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm still pissed off at Rocky about what he did to me last night. So, Lord have mercy, I might as well start. No, no, Josh, tell, tell the quick story. So, so I'm on the phone with Rocky last night, Josh. He calls me up, and um, uh, actually, I called him up. I was returning his call from earlier. I called him up, and he answers the phone. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? He's all, like, oh, not much, man, driving back to my house, and Going to be on the road for a while. So good, good. We got some things to talk about. So we talked for about 15 minutes. And about 15 minutes into it, um, I let a four-letter word fly. Um, no, you've, you've, you've let about three slide at this at this point. Well, I don't remember. All I remember is I hadn't dropped an F-bomb, I don't think, yet. Thank goodness. But, but uh, you know, I did use a word that is synonymous uh, with poop. And uh, Rocky goes, oh, and by the way, my mother and my children are in the truck with me, and <laughs> you're on Bluetooth speakerphone. <laughs> and I'm like, Rocky, I can't oh, believe. I, he's like, what did you want me to do? I said, Rocky, when you call me and I'm not alone and you're on speakerphone, what happens? He says, man, I've always wondered why the minute – you answer the phone. If you've got somebody with me, you always say, hey, by the way, Rocky, my daughters and Melanie are with me or whatever. I said, it's because it's common courtesy, brother. 
You don't tell a brother 20 minutes into the conversation after he uh-huh. dropped a couple of expletives. Oh, by the way, my mom is in the car with me. But, but thank God, because when I apologize to her, I'm like, Mrs. LaFleur, I am so, so sorry. You know, and I know you raised your son to be more considerate than that. And, and you know, but you tell – look, everybody out there in Duck Southland listening – so if you have someone on speakerphone and you are not alone, you tell them at the very opening of the conversation, not 20 minutes into it. But thank God it was only Rocky's mother, and Rocky's mother was so cool. I'm like, Miss LaFleur, I am so, so sorry. I just said that in front of you. And she said, oh, Jay Paul, don't worry about it. Shit's not a cuss word. I say it all the time. <laughs> 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 and Rocky says, "Yeah, most of the time it's followed by fire." <laughs> yeah, yeah. mom's favorite phrase. So she was really cool about it. But I'm still mad. I mean, what, what's your take on that, Josh Webb? Uh, yeah, he left you. He left you hanging out there. Uh, I mean, I guess he was just gonna let it go until the point of no return uh, before he. Uh, before he either just hung up or, or talk, had to tell his mama that you're the buddy he never talks to or never know what you're going to say. I don't know where he was going with it. Yeah, he, 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 left, he left you out there. That's pretty rough. You know what's cool, though, Josh? I did find out that Mrs. LaFleur actually has listened to some of the podcasts. And she's a big fan of yours, by the way. So I, I did think that was nice. But yeah, he left me hanging, but I guess I'm gonna I, I'm gonna let it go. But I had to <laughs> I had to throw that out. Hold on, let me let me just say two things. One in defense of my mother. The only thing that she's ever my, my mother is one of the finest Christian people in the world, and but her and my grandmother both were synonymous for saying uh, shit fire and. My grandmother always said, you know, people with her sons and daughters would say, Mama, don't say that. And she'd be like, that's not a cuss word. That's just an explicitive for poop. There's no big deal. And in defense of Rocky's mother, by the way, also, I mean, yeah, everybody out there listening, I mean, and of course, you know, most of our followers, I think, are Southerners, and they understand that. That's kind of a Southern thing, kind of like, you know, saying Mrs. instead of Mrs. if a lady's married. But my grandmother was the same way. God rest her soul. She died a couple of years ago at 92 years old. Um, she uh, was married to my grandfather for over 60 years. Neither tobacco nor alcohol ever passed her lips. I never heard her utter a single cuss word in her life except that one. And just like your mama, Rocky, I mean, that was one of her, except it was usually like, you know, shit, fire, save on matches was her favorite thing to say. So <laughs> yeah, let, me, let, me give, let me give my second nice point here. His mother's reputation. Go ahead. No, it's fine. It's fine. The, the second point is, you know, we should be having conversations. I'm, I've always wondered why Jay Paul always told me, hey, Melanie's in the truck with me. I'm not going to say anything dirty anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Rocky, most of my friends do not have nearly as clean a mouth as you do. I mean, I've got buddies that think that mother is just the first half of the word, and we won't discuss the last half of that, okay? so. 
know? All right. Well, look, we are anyway. We are let's in, move on. Yeah, we're in the midst of Thanksgiving week, and I, I want to ask you guys a question. And let me say this: I had somebody tell me this week that that Thanksgiving ranked at the bottom of their holidays. So I want to ask you guys, and then I'll follow it up after you guys, but where do you rank Thanksgiving in the holidays all year? What number is it? Number two. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Probably number two. Um, I mean, I don't think of, I can't think of anything else that would be number two. Now, Thanksgiving has always been a great holiday to me. I, you know, it's either number one or number two for me. This guy had it ranked down at the bottom. I'm like, what? You know, Thanksgiving for Why? me. Okay, I don't know. I don't. I, that's what I don't don't get. You know, Thanksgiving's I mean, Thanksgiving, always. Yeah, it's always it's been. Great. It's like a big family reunion for for my yeah. family, and yeah, and we ha- we also have a big family football game on Thanksgiving. I mean, I'm talking about everybody from age 70 all the way to age 8. And it's it's always been a unbelievable holiday to me. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I look forward to it for a lot of reasons. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's just kind of the, you know, for a lot, well, I'm sure it's the same for all of us. It's it's the kind of the first time, you know, around through the year where you get to see everybody again. But we always go to the same place for Thanksgiving every year and I always look forward to it. Um it's 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 also kinda like the, the last supper, uh, because duck season opens the next day. So it's kind of like you know, it's always kinda like that, that last big meal before you're about to be strung out chasing ducks for two months. But uh I mean I look forward to it for a lot of reasons. So I can't imagine why he would have it so low on his list. He said he said that the food he said the food ranked low on his list that we eat at Thanksgiving. I'm like, mm, man, I love no. turkey and <laughs> I, I look forward to he it needs all to come year. To my house Thursday. Yes, sir. Lunchtime Thursday here will be a feast. We believe that we need to honor the pilgrims and the Indians at my house by putting out a cornucopia of food. And my wife, she cooks for everybody on her side of the family. And some of the people on mine, um, but her family comes over, her brothers and their families, and uh, you know it's it's a huge deal. But for me, Thanksgiving is right there with Christmas. I mean, I won't put it ahead of Christmas, although I look forward to it more than I do Christmas because Thanksgiving. I, I mean, there's so many things. I love it's always on a Thursday. You know, we got Friday. So it's a long weekend that it leads into in the state of Tennessee where I live. Opening day of of deer season is mandated to be the third by law by state law is the uh, third Saturday in November. So the Saturday before Thanksgiving, deer season opens, and the Saturday after Thanksgiving, duck season opens. And you know the holiday really begins about Wednesday. So uh, that's when the cooking starts taking place at my house. So you've got this super long weekend. You got duck season. You got deer season. You got family coming over. You've got food. You've got football. I mean, how the heck could it be anything but at the very top of the list? Yeah, I mean, it's it's great food on Thanksgiving. You, you know, growing up as a kid, you know that was one of the best things about Thanksgiving too. And I'm glad both of y'all said that with deer hunting because, you know, 
deer hunting open that Saturday before Thanksgiving, and man, we did a ton of deer hunting that week of Thanksgiving. But hey, let me ask you. You know the crazy thing about it, and Josh, I don't know where you were in your school years with this, but I don't know if you remember this, Jay Paul. But when I was in school, we went to school all the way till Wednesday at lunch at Thanksgiving. Now, man, kids get the whole week out for school. Yeah, from school on Thanksgiving week. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, that that's. Yeah, you're right, Rocky. And for as long as I can remember when I was in school coming up and everything, um, and even when I was in college, we got the whole week out. But now I see colleges going back to going to school until Wednesday. But the the high schools, you know, the, the grade schools are have the whole week off, which I completely forgot about. I got up this morning and I was like, why do I see people? You know, I, I just, I, I didn't understand. And then I was like, oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving week, and they got the whole week off. But but colleges, my my brother-in-law and sister-in-law are both at Mississippi State, and they're they're in school until Wednesday. Um, so I think some schools are actually backing up on that that, that timeline. There, Rocky, like like back to the way you said it was when you were in school, because there forever, everybody was out the whole week. I always thought they were anyway. Nah, my kids, we went to school up until Wednesday, and just in the last couple of years, they started turning loose for the entire week of Thanksgiving. It's funny because I've got a daughter that's junior in high school, and this morning, um, you know, when I, I went down to the kennels and I came back up to the house for something about 8 o'clock, and her car was sitting in the driveway, and I started to panic for her. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's fixing to be late for uh, school, and then I realized, no, she's not. Dang, she's out of school this week. So, you know, it, so you So you have an extra bird boy this week. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. man, she's, hey, she'll throw the <laughs> hell out of a softball. She won't throw a duck for anything. By the way, <laughs> guy, hey, Josh, Rocky, I'm going to do something I've never done on the podcast before. But uh, I'm really, really proud of something. My 16-year-old daughter, who is a junior in high school, was elected president of the Beta Club this year at Dyersburg High School. And she was nominated for vice president for Beta Club statewide in Tennessee. And for those of you out there who are my friends on Facebook, uh, it would honor me if you'd take a second and go check out my Facebook page. My daughter delivered a speech last Friday night to an auditorium packed with over 5,000 people at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville. And I could not be more proud of that little girl and what a great job she did public speaking. Very, very impressed. Uh, by Hannah. And, and listen, I, I brought that stuff up, you know, not to brag about my daughter so much, but also because if you do listen to her speech, um, she did not win. She she didn't win the election for vice president. She did great, though. And, and you know, um, she felt really, really bad, kind of like she'd let her school or her club down because after working so hard, she didn't come out the winner, but uh, feel free to comment there on my Facebook page if you thought she did a good job, because I think that little bit of encouragement to that young lady who I'm so proud of and, and who did so well, I think that could go a long way, and, and that's the main reason that I brought it up. She likes the duck hunt, so hopefully we'll have her on the podcast before long. All right, now, enough of me bragging on my kid. Let's move forward. 
All right, well, look, let's let's go to some, talking about duck hunting, let's go to some. Uh, talked to multiple people that hunted in Arkansas this weekend, had one heck of an opener on Saturday, and Sunday it really, really fell off. And I'm going to, I'm going to go straight into the subject, guys. Pressure is what caused that Sunday to fall off, and that's our topic for today is pressure. So, you know, it, it amazes me with the, as little water as it is out there that that little amount of pressure, just one day of hunting, caused Sunday to be that bad. You know, what? where did those ducks go? What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I would, from what I've seen in the past, hunting Arkansas, I usually hunt the first week of Arkansas season. I'm not over there this year, but even even in years where water was normal, when that immediate pressure hits, I mean, obviously opening day, there's there's going to be people out there that they're only going to hunt twice a year, you know, the first and, and last weekend. I mean, so there's there's a lot of extra people hunting. Um, you see, obviously, a lot of birds in areas where there's no hunting, maybe it's, you know, a reservoir type uh, place where farmers are holding water. Uh, they're obviously going to hold a lot of birds, but after that immediate opening morning pressure, those places really, really load up with birds because the birds know it's a safe place. Um, and uh, I would imagine that every reservoir over there right now is is, is that way. Um, I haven't talked to any of the guys south of Arkansas to see if they got a um, you know, in any sort of a, of a push, um, and that that might be what happened with the lack of water. Uh, they might have completely left. But I, I I heard the same thing you did, Rocky. That people had great great hunts Saturday morning, and generally speaking, Sunday was incredibly slow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to tell you real quick before you jump in here, Jay Paul. I, I talked to Jeff Estes, um, and. I think you're spot on, Josh. I think that I think that the ducks went to those safe spots, like the reservoirs. And he said that those those reservoirs were loaded up, and it looked like to him by you know Sunday that the birds were actually feeding late in the afternoon and at night um, after that opening day. Yeah, definitely. All right, so, you know, we've been saying that we were going to talk about this subject for the last couple of weeks, and, you know, I've obviously studied pressure and its effects on ducks literally from coast to coast and border to border. And I've got two or three observations that I want to make that I feel like are, are pretty spot on, and there's some scientific data to back this up also. So, um, number one, Josh, I think you did nail it. You know, when the pressure goes on birds like that, they don't necessarily leave the area. Um, We saw this weekend, I did a Facebook Live, as a matter of fact, yesterday, from Alder Slough, and and I was there uh, over the weekend. Hunter success on Saturday was almost three birds per hunter on the public land. There were, I want to say, 30,000 birds on the refuge, and that number was actually growing. And we had a very, very successful Saturday afternoon. 
and then it fell off dramatically Sunday. Still saw a lot of ducks really, really early Sunday morning, but there just weren't the number of birds leaving the refuge um, because we got a bunch of new birds in with the front, and you know Saturday everybody did really, really well. So when you have hunting pressure that jumps up on birds that have are new birds, you're going to have a whole lot of success usually on that first day, and it's going to drop off because those birds are going to go to the safe spots, just like you said, Josh. But here's another interesting phenomenon, and I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, and we're seeing it now. Rocky, you brought up the report that there were over 3.2 million ducks in South Louisiana about two weeks ago. And then in the coastal zone on November the 12th, um, they started duck season there. And I got a report from a biologist Thursday of this week in Louisiana saying that they had lost a lot of those birds and they had trickled back north. And that was a result of, obviously, hunting pressure. And then the final observation that I want to make on that, Arkansas opened up on Saturday. Um, parts of Louisiana have already been open. Tennessee and Mississippi are still closed. But on my farm, Saturday, even though we've been pumping and the front came through on Sunday, we didn't have a lot of ducks. We didn't have any on, I mean, I'm sorry, front came through on Friday. We didn't have a lot of ducks. Uh, we didn't have any to speak of on Friday. The front came through, and on Saturday, we had about 1,000 birds on the farm. By Sunday afternoon, we had several thousand ducks on our 4,000 acres. And I think that that was also the result of pressure, specifically pressure from across the river, because we're directly across from Blytheville, Arkansas, and I've got friends in your part of the world, Rocky, that said they saw ducks this weekend also. And so some birds that had been in Arkansas, Louisiana, as soon as hunting started, those birds moved into other areas where they're not pressured. Well, I don't think that we can leave the topic without talking about remedies or hunting pressure. What you can do as a private club to remedy pressure and maintain ducks. So Well and that's I why I brought that up. I mean that's right, so why I, that's why I just gave you that info. Let me let me tell you this, and I think the number one rule that every hunting club should have, and even implemented probably on public hunting, is limiting the number of days that you're able to hunt it. And what I mean by that is, see, I think that two to three, two days on any specific hole is enough. You know, if you can limit the, just, let's just say that we're, we're pretending like Tiger Tail is a specific club that we're talking about, okay? Okay. You know, it's, it's all in one continuous block. I think that limiting any specific hole to two days per week is plenty enough, and limiting an overall block three days. Would you agree with that, both of you? Oh, totally. Yeah, I do. I, I do. Um, and 
you know, one thing that gets me, and, you know, you kind of can see both sides of it is, you know, say a club where guys live an hour, two hours away, whatever, and they, you know, they don't have, they're going to have Saturday, Sunday to hunt, and that's it. But, or, you know, and maybe the, you know, as a club, they, they can hunt Wednesdays and Saturday, Sundays, whatever it may be. But to me, it just comes down to, are you in the club to have quantity of hunts? Meaning, are you, are you trying to be in a club or be somewhere where you can hunt every day of the season? Or are you more worried about the quality of hunts? Because one is going to affect the other. Um, you know, there's just, and there's just no way, no duck hunter wants to hear it, but there's just no way that you're going to go to the same place or the same small general area and kill them day in, day out without letting it rest. You're just not going to do it. Holy crap. What is going Man, you like have a Ph.D. cap on today, dude. You're unreal <laughs> information. No, no, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just the truth of it. Um, and that's why no, I like I I like to see clubs that have you know it sure it's nice to be able to go out and hunt a continuous whatever you may have you know from your campouts you may be able to see every pitch you have but if you look and or listen to these guys that are in clubs that are spread out across two counties they may have a pit here and a pit there those are your usually your consistent guys. Um, because they they spread themselves out and they literally make it where they can you know they they almost force themselves not to hunt the same place twice or even twice in a week's time. Right, right, and and look, so Josh, Rocky's right. You got some really good, really good observations there that I think are spot on. So let me circle back. So the first information that that I threw out there, I gave you as a as a lead in to this subject because you know we know that pressure affects the ducks i mean you see it on opening day you'll have tons of birds you'll shoot the fire out of them you will if you're by a refuge i really like checking refuge numbers and by the way the numbers actually i believe went up at uh a refuge there at alder slough from Saturday to Sunday. So more birds moved into the area, but hunter success went down. So that's a direct result of pressure. So I brought those things up to show that hunting pressure definitely does have an effect on the ducks. So now, then, let's talk about it individually, as you just brought up. So when we're talking about managing our birds, we can take from that that obviously if you're You've got to make a decision, as Josh said, do you want quality or do you want quantity? Because you can't have both. In most places, there are very, very few. I know of a couple of duck holes that you can hunt every single day, day in, day out. These are what I call glory holes. They really, really pile up the ducks every year, and hunting pressure really doesn't have effect. But those places are extraordinarily few and far between. Most places, it's exactly like Josh said. If you hit them hard, they're going to respond just like the ducks did this weekend in most of the areas of Arkansas and Louisiana and uh, and other spots where, well, heck, even during the season. I mean, think about it. If you're a seasoned hunter, you know, and you're a weekend warrior, Sunday's usually not as good as Saturday. Why is that? 
because of the pressure that gets exerted on the birds on Saturday. So how do you deal with that? Well, Josh, dead on. You know, one thing is you can limit hunting. And Rocky, you asked me about tiger tail. Yeah, we're a big farm. We've got 4,000 acres in one tract. But we do not allow hunting on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays. It's only open to hunting by our members on Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. And there's a very good reason that we do that. You know, we, we don't have many weekday hunters, so we feel like Monday, a day off is sufficient to let numbers build back up and sustain the pressure that we're going to put, out, put on them on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we're closed on Thursday and Friday to allow birds to start building up where our guys that are weekend warriors only, they've got the opportunity to do well. So um, definitely, if you can, you know, if you've got to make the choice and you're going to choose quality over quantity of days hunting, best thing you can do for a duck hole is limit the number of days, Rocky. You're right on target. See, I would, look, you, you've got 4,000 acres, and you've got to look at it from a standpoint of most people, let's say they're in a continuous block. They're not, but 800 to 1,500 acres in a continuous block that they're renting. That's just how most farms are. So I would even restrict it down to say, if it's that smaller of a farm, Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, or Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Give it lots of rest. Sure, sure. And I'll tell you something else, too. Um, Afternoon hunting. You know, we... I had a club several years ago when I was still hunting a lot in Arkansas where on year three, we decided no afternoon hunting, particularly on Friday afternoons. I mean, every once in a while when conditions were right, we'd, we'd you know, and you got to use common sense too. I hope people realize that. You know, if you've got, if you've got a major, major freeze coming in, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You need to you need to separate the two because there's two types of afternoon hunting and duck hunting. There's afternoon hunting where you're hunting from 12 to 3 o'clock, just like we talked about last week in a full moon phase. To me, if that's when your birds are feeding, go bust them. The worst yeah. thing you can do is roost shoot a duck. I have seen places freaking destroyed because of roost shooting. Exactly. And that's what I'm talking about, Rocky. I'm glad you made that point and differentiated that. You know, um, in our third year there, we decided to go to no afternoon hunting. We had, it had a dramatic effect, you know, because we would have guys that would come in and they'd show up, they'd take off early, you know, guys out of Memphis take off early on Friday, get there in time to hunt the last couple of hours of daylight. When we eliminated that, the very next year, our Saturday mornings became much more productive. But let's go back to rest days. Also, you need to use a little common sense if you've got a private place. You know, I, I mean, let me give you a scenario. So we hunt predominantly flooded fields and very shallow backwater. And we can get froze out pretty easily. You know, if, if I see a northerner coming in an Arctic freeze and it's going to hit on Friday night, and I know Saturday and Sunday of that weekend are going to be smack out because we're going to be locked up and every duck in the country is going to leave, hey, you know, I'll call the guys and say, look, Thursday and Friday are going to be better than this weekend. 
you know, if you can get off, come on, shoot them. Because Saturday and Sunday, it's not going to be worth a dang. I mean, you need to use common sense. There are times when if you're wanting to have quality shoots, you know, you can bend the rules a little bit if you're smart about it. I mean, but on the flip side of that, if conditions are looking great for the weekend, we will never fire a shot on the farm on Thursday and Friday. I mean, I'm only going to hunt it, open it back up on those rest days when I see that it's not going to have an effect, and that may be the only opportunity that we have. So, you know, I think common sense should come into play there also. Well, it, yeah, absolutely. And it, but it also helps to have somebody there. Um, and generally every club does, um, you know, but uh, it, it it really and truly, it's sad that it, that, that what I now, might hey, say. Every, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, before you leave that, before you leave that, Josh, every camp has a lazy boy Larry. The lazy no, boy absolutely. Larry, he, he sits in the lazy boy, he joins yeah. the club just to drink whiskey and sit in the lazy boy by the heater, and he'll ride around and tell you if there's ducks there or not. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, it 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 takes it, and and I I encourage every club to make sure you have one instead of having the the, the members that will you know go over and or, or be close enough to look to see if the ducks are there, and when they see them there, they kill them, and then. Everybody gets there Saturday, Sunday, and they're like, well, crap, what happened? I've seen that happen. Of course, obviously, that very quickly tears clubs apart. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. It's just become a – I'm glad that, that you do that, Jay Paul, that you're there and are the, the boots on the ground for that for that club. I know a lot of clubs that do that, and it works great. And, yeah, that, there's absolutely no problem in that. You know, if it's going to be locked up, 100%. I mean, like, there's no way around it. Well, tell me this, Jay Paula, will y'all mm-hmm. put in the the effort to keep a spot open to hunt? Or if it's going to freeze up, I mean, if Friday night it's going to drop down, it's going to be frozen Saturday. Mm-hmm. Would you rather hunt it on Thursday? Or would you rather try to keep a place open and and get get the guys there, you know, that are coming Saturday to hunt it. I mean, if you, um, if you know, if you got ice eaters, whatever the whatever it may be, to keep water open, you have a huntable place Saturday, or would you rather just go ahead and hunt it on Thursday? You know, uh, I mean, it depends. If if I think we're going to freeze up and we're going to lose all of our birds, um, I might keep one spot back that I'm going to try to keep open and, and not hunt it. But, you know, I got guys that come in from all over the country that are members. I mean, we've got club members from St. Louis, from Atlanta, um, from southern Mississippi, from Louisville, Kentucky. And those guys, if they can get away, then, you know, I'm going to try to encourage them to get there when I know it's going to be good. But, hey, trying to hold back a spot. You know, it's not a bad idea. It's something that we did some last year. But, okay, you know, it looks like it's going to be bad. I'm going to keep this one hole open for Saturday. Come on and shoot Thursday and stay out of uh, R, build R1 because I'm leaving it open. And I'm going to let the birds try to build up in there. But not everybody, you know, Josh, unfortunately, has the luxury of having that kind of acreage. But even if it's smaller, you know, if it's an 800-acre farm that you've got, I mean, that's still a square mile. That's bigger than some refuges. 
You know, you can hunt one corner of the farm while you rest the other. But let me give you another really interesting observation about pressure and about making a spot. So we've all heard, and this is going to change gears just a little bit, but it still relates directly to pressure. So we've all heard about imprinting ducks, right? Both you guys agree? You know what imprinting is? Yep. Yep. All right. For the people out there that may be listening that may not know, um, there's been a lot of research to support this. Ducks become imprinted. Ducks have a sort of built-in GPS. And one of the best ways that, that a biologist put it to me um, a few years ago, one of the guys at Delta Waterfowl said, you know, Jay Paul, imagine ducks as having kind of a little built-in GPS or, or Garmin, and as they migrate, they stop along the way, and if it's a really good spot, it's almost like they drop a waypoint, and they remember that, and they may come back again the next year, and if it's a really good spot again, then that becomes stronger. You know, they, they maybe highlight that waypoint, um, and over time, it really gets ingrained or imprinted into that duck to go back to that spot. Um, imprints are not permanent. They change. It's more of a generation-to-generation generation deal, but we know that birds, based on research, imprint. So let me give you guys a little anecdote. I've got a couple of buddies that have a farm outside of Scottsboro, Alabama. Now, Rocky, would you ever imagine Scottsboro, Alabama as being a duck-hunting hotspot? Hypothetically or realistically? Hypothetically. Just when somebody says no. Scottsboro, Alabama, do you think duck hunting? <laughs> no, of course not. You either, Josh, right? I mean, no, not at all. Yeah, it's up in the you know, it's up in the hills there, and and it is not an area that you would consider North Alabama. It's not Atlantic Fly. I mean, it's Mississippi Flyway, but it's not in the heart of the Mississippi Flyway. It's not far enough east to be Atlantic Flyway. You know, they my buddies call it the Lost Flyway. So these guys purchased a piece of property less than 100 acres adjacent to a refuge there. And even though their spot's private, I'm not going to disclose the exact location, but there are a few refuges there in northern Alabama, that Huntsville, Scottsboro, Gunnersville area. And these guys purchased a farm less than 100 acres right next to a refuge. And they knew that they had a few ducks that worked a low area on the farm. And they felt like some birds were imprinted there, but they also were looking toward the future. So they knew that pressure, hunting it right away, if they really wanted to make a sweet spot, would be detrimental to them. So these guys took this little bitty farm, less than 100 acres, and they moved some dirt around. They made uh, the fields where you could impound them. They planted a whole bunch of corn and millet and uh, some in, in native wetland grasses. And the first year that they owned that farm, they put all that food out there, they flooded it, and they never shot it a single day. All through that season, they'd come out, uh, they'd sit on the property line with binoculars, they'd watch birds come in, but they never succumbed to the temptation to go on it. 
The next year, they did the exact same thing, and they only hunted it on the last weekend of the season. They never touched it. In year three, they did the exact same thing. They did a couple of mid-season hunts for one day on the farm. Other than that, they left it alone until the last weekend. And then in the fourth year that they owned that farm, they started hunting it on average two days a week. They'd go in, punch the ducks in the mouth, pull out for two or three days, let them build back up, go in, and hit them again. Today, they are averaging for the last three years over 1,200 birds per year off of this tiny little farm. They never shoot over the limit, but when it's good, they call in a bunch of buddies, they get in there, they hit them hard, and then they draw back out. So there are a couple things that you can learn from this. Number one, obviously you can successfully, if you've got ducks in the area, make a hunting hole by allowing those ducks to imprint. Number two, if you have birds and you manage it to keep the pressure off of them, you can have a great deal of success in areas that you really wouldn't think of as great places to duck hunt. What do you guys think about that? No, I would I would agree with you. And, you know, 100% agree with you on that point. Well, I, that's just, I think y'all, y'all shot a show there, didn't you, Jay Paul? I think I remember that. Um, I've actually shot two or three there because it's so okay. easy. Okay, well, I thought so, you know, well, and I, but I remember it. I mean, that's what caught my attention was why in the heck is Jay Paul in nowhere Alabama um, <laughs> shooting ducks? I mean, really, and it was that was a really cool episode to watch because of that, because y'all explained how they did it and why they did it and everything. And uh, I mean, I just, like, I think everybody over there now is probably glad that they're that they're buddies with those guys because they <laughs> they they really figured it out. I mean, it it takes a lot of hard work and uh, and it's hard to do to have a place in and a lot of strength. Right, that's what it I'm saying. It's hard to do to sit back and do that. Um uh, especially if you're a duck hunter to sit there and watch ducks come in and not and not do it, but they thought, you know, far enough into the into the future to uh and respected the the wildlife in that to to let it build up and let it become what it is, and, and now they're consistent because of what they, you know, because of what they planned, you know, whatever it was five, six years ago now. Um, that's that's amazing. Um, but it can be done. I mean, I think that's that's a great point, is that you don't have to have, you know, 800, 1,000, 5,000, whatever acres. You can do it. You can make it work. You can be successful, but you just got to, it goes back to the, you know, quality over quantity deal. You know, you just got to understand that. Yeah, no doubt. Look, look, we're going to, we still have a couple of points to make on hunting pressure and the remedies for those, but I've got to tell you, the timer's running out here at the Duck South Studios, so Jay Paul, I'm going to let you close this out, and we'll continue this conversation in the next podcast. Yeah, I I agree, because there's a whole lot more to this. You know, in my closing thoughts, I want to summarize it and hit on two or three points that we know. And this this isn't just our opinion. I mean, you know, if you take a look, there's obviously science to back up imprinting. We know that pressure 
definitely has an effect. If you don't believe it, again, compare your Sundays to your Saturdays, unless you're getting new birds. Um, but sometimes hunting pressure, as we're seeing, can work in our favor. You know, I had a lot of people that I talked to after we had that podcast and and pointed out that article showing that the aerial survey the first week of November put 3.2 million birds in South Louisiana. You know, there were some doomsdayers that came to me and went, wow, well, you know, if that many birds are down there, I guess we're just not going to have a season they've passed us by. But pressure can work in your favor. You know, the hunting season opened that Saturday on the 12th, and now we're seeing those birds trickle back north. When birds go south, they do not stay south. And in this case, hunting pressure is working in our favor. Um, got a whole lot more to cover. Josh, you have looked particularly intelligent today. <laughs> you made some really, really good good comments. And so I'm not going to close this thing out without giving you a, a chance for a final thought there. No, I just, I, I, I don't think you can, anybody, not, not you, I don't think anybody can talk enough about this topic, especially with, the generation of hunters that are coming along now um, because it kills me to see so many of them not care anything about what we're talking about. You know, they think, you know, you can go pound them every day. And if you've, it's just not, you might be able to, I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying if if you're going to do it and enjoy it and have, and you look to have a, a, a quality time, not just quality with whatever it may be, only mallards on your strap and knife. You're going to have a quality time, then you're going to have to understand that, that you've got to have some restraint and some respect for going out there and, and hunting and not think that you're you're not cool unless you're killing mallards every day of the year because if that's the case, then there's a lot of uncool duck hunters out there <laughs> um, because you're just, not, you're just not going to, I mean, you're just not going to do it. It's just the no. we're, look. We're hunting migratory animals, so if if you think you can control the migration every day of the week for sixty days, more power to you. I'm gonna enjoy whatever. I, I was telling Rocky right before we right before we we started the podcast, we were talking about ducks in the area and if more showed up or whatever. And you know I'm gonna be gone for a few days Thanksgiving when I get back next weekend. Uh, right now I know where a hole full of wood ducks are and I'm looking forward to getting in there and shooting wood ducks Saturday morning. That's going to be fun. Uh, you know, if we kill mallards and gabwalls, that's, that's fine, but I know we're going to go shoot some wood ducks. I'm looking forward to that. There's not and many I can people bet you who... This. I can bet you this. One thing, that we, one thing you can take away from today's podcast is after you shoot them Saturday morning, I guarantee you there's not going to be as many come back on oh, no. Sunday. No. No, Rocky no. is um, tapping the hourglass because the sand is falling out of it, Josh. So, uh, and he's got a couple <laughs> more things that he wants to talk about about pressure, uh, but we don't have time to do it today. So, Rocky, we'll let you get those thoughts in on the next go round. Whoa, oh, I, yeah. I always get closing thoughts. Now, I, mine's going to be short and sweet. Don't cut me <laughs> off. Right. Spit it. Well, you're the one tapping the hourglass. Spit it out there, brother. So uh, I'm just going to leave you with this thought. Every club needs a lazy boy, Larry, or his cousin, Couch Carl, or Wild Turkey Tom. Those guys, <laughs> give him, give those guys a discounted rate because they're never going to hunt. They're just going to ride around and look for you and tell you when the ducks are there. So that's my final point. Yeah, and that person is generally a pretty good cook, too. That just yeah. kind of well, comes yeah. with territory, yeah. I guess. 
<laughs> unless he unless he's old unless he's wild turkey tom or makers mark mike i mean those guys generally the best thing they're doing is, is mix thing they're best at is mixing a drink but hey and, and also every club as you pointed out um a while back josh needs to point somebody that has the final decision that says you know the buck stops here uh particularly when it comes to pressure you know, somebody that has good judgment that when they say, hey, guys, we need to let it rest, they're going to let it rest. And I'll let that little tidbit be my final thought. Guys, I've enjoyed it. Hope everybody out there listening has enjoyed it. And hope you'll come back again because our next podcast, we are going to resume this topic of pressure on the on the next podcast powered by DuckSouth.com. 